Thank you so much, and thank you for being here today. Take your Bibles and head back to Genesis 1. Uh, as you do, I would again ask for your prayers, every Christian in the room, every Christian out there. I will tell you that last week we had a higher numbers than we were running pre-COVID and the highest number of children we have had in my three years as your pastor here. Do you realize the little kids, I know you saw some of them in the choir, but do you know that during our services last Sunday, there were 365 children uh, back here and their, their uh, workers with them, 365. That's a great number of children, and thank you to the adults. Thank you to you who serve with them. I think they told me there might have been 25 in the infant nursery between the two services. So you guys are listening to the word of the Lord. Thank you. Be fruitful and multiply. Thank you for being faithful to the word of God. I will tell you, I think our fastest growing demographic at Grace this past year, looking at our new members classes, because every, every um, age has been represented, but I think our, probably our fastest growing range has been about 25 to 35 year olds. So thank you for being here, young families. Thank you for keeping us younger. And I've got some fun stuff to share with you coming up about family, because next week we're gonna be in starting chapter two and we're gonna take communion together. Uh, I'll just intro chapter two, but I have some really important things that we need to get to today. We're really unpacking Genesis fact or fiction. And here's what I know. I know we have a lot of families that are bumping up against these issues of um, gender dysphoria and, and um, gender and sexuality and whether those things are together or separate, same-sex attraction, a marriage, all of these kinds of issues that sort of swirl together. If Genesis is true, it impacts all of these things. If what we're gonna read in just a moment, this verse that we've learned, and this will be our last day saying it, by now I hope you have it memorized. If this verse is true, and again, we're not making rules based on anomalies. If you've not heard me talk about intersex, if you've not heard me talk about, uh, I mentioned very briefly, Kleinfelders and some other things, go back and listen to those messages so I don't repeat myself too much, but Genesis 1:27 is what we're learning, and if it's true, it makes all the difference. So would you say it with me together, church? We ought to know it really well by now. You ready? So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Thank you. Let's put some blanks in there and do it one last time. You ready? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Good. Now, if that's true, it has ramifications for us as we consider the subject divinely designed in the image of God. If it's true, it makes a huge difference. Before we go back and just very, very quickly review, remember I am what you call a complex unificationist, meaning body, soul, spirit, all of us are intertwined. There's this complexity beyond what anybody can fully unpack, but between the material us and the immaterial us, the outside you and the inside you, I would say what we see and the real you. There is this, this complex unity where you truly cannot separate those things. And so again, 
God designed it that way on purpose. Let's look at God's design again. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and we'll conclude chapter one. We've only been here five, six weeks or so, so it didn't take us that long to get through chapter one. We'll get to chapter two next time. Here we go, picking up Genesis 1:24, looking at the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth or that moves about on the earth. 29, and God said, see, behold, look, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I've given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, First, let me say how much I appreciate and thank you, Lord, for first saving me, redeeming me, although I am not, nor will I ever be worthy. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the privilege and the opportunity to stand before these men and women, these young people, those in the room and those out there, many, many more who are tuned in. Thank you for the privilege of opening your word, of studying your truth. As a father, as a husband, as a grandfather now, Lord, I just want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And God, I beg you, even as I've been doing in these days, that you would help me to have the proper balance of love and truth, knowing you can't truly have one without the other, but knowing that when we have the truth, the truth brings freedom. And truth is more than a set of facts. Jesus Christ himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And so help us to remember truth is personified in the person of Christ. And when we see Jesus, we see the truth. I realize there are some people here today, there are some people tuned in today that are struggling. They're hurting, their family's hurting. The issues about which we'll speak have been touching us now for a number of years and have been dividing families and have been creating pain, heartache, misunderstanding, inflamed rhetoric. Help the church, help me, Lord, in this moment do well to speak truth. And when all is said and done, God, if you have a smile on your face, I believe that the job will have been well done. Otherwise, I can't even fathom trying to keep everyone in this moment happy. So help me think about what you want alone for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're being seated, I want to make a statement that is obvious to you and is obvious to me, but I, I, I want to reiterate it. I will not be harsh enough for some of you. I realize that. I realize that. You're the Turner Burn crowd. 
right? You're the kneel or peel, get sanctified or french fried, get right or get left, just black and white, I get it. And I'm not gonna be mean enough for you. There's some of you, the love, peace, and bacon grease crowd. You're the kumbaya folk, and, and you want me to be easier and kinder and gentler. Well, I'm not gonna make either one of you guys happy, so remember this, my goal is to speak what God has spoken and to do it with integrity and truth. And, and if we can get to the truth and we can help some folks to see that there is a better way than the way of the world right now, there is a better way than the cultural tide is pushing, there is a better way than the confusion and chaos that's happening among our young people. And it's not just among our young people, it's among every generation. There's a better way if you'll pray and we'll, we'll be more prayerful and less critical of the way we say things. And I wanna thank you this week. Many of you reached out to me. Many have sent me letters, uh, emails, uh, some of you that, that uh, you, you've really encouraged my heart, and I appreciate that. I appreciate it more than you can possibly know because to dive into this pool at the depth we're gonna go here in just a minute, um, it, it is a challenge right now. And it's not a challenge because I question the truth. It's not a challenge because I wonder if God is stuttered or if the word of God has changed. It's a challenge because I wanna be sensitive because I know some of you really struggle with this. Some of the best friends I've had in the world have struggled with this. Some of the closest guys back in our college days that Cindy and I used to double date with and go out with, they're struggling with this. And so I wanna be very sensitive, but I want you to know that my goal is not to make all of you happy. If I tried to do that, I'd be an insane man right now. My goal is to try to put a smile on the face of my father, and if my heavenly father's okay, then we'll be okay, all right? Okay, so, so this is where we've been, right? We said the Imago Dei vividly demonstrates the agape, the unilateral self-sacrificing one-way love of Almighty God. The image of God is critical. Genesis 1:26 employs in plural of majesty and Trinitarian language. We learned that when the Bible talks about human beings as being special creations of God, they're utterly unique. We are different than the animal kind. I'm not saying treat animals poorly. I'm not saying be ugly. Listen, I'm saying that we need to be good to God's creation. We are called to have dominion, to rule and to reign, but I'm saying that you don't make a tree or an owl more important than a human baby. You follow me there? You, you, you don't get your priorities out of line, right? And we learned it, uh, uh, so, so we've learned all that. Did that get you through your outline thus far? You ready for point two? Let's jump in. We're at point two, right? Okay, here we go. The Imago Dei beautifully displays the value of all people. The Imago Dei, this is the thing I don't understand about the current cultural tide that says Christians are hateful. True Christian people should be the most loving, most giving, most generous people on the planet. When we've been forgiven much, we can forgive much. When we've been picked up over and over and over from the muck and mire of sin in our life, we ought to be able to help other folks get up. And the thing is, what we've done is we've separated ourselves. And particularly we in the heterosexual camp have separated ourselves or the cisgendered camp, meaning that my biological gender aligns with the gender I believe I am, just to define terms, just to make sure we understand what I'm talking about. But I was born a biological boy. I believe I'm a man. I, you know, that's alignment. But we have put ourselves in an us-them scenario. Listen, the problem here is not Christians versus the LGBTQ plus community. That is not true. The reality is it is God's way where we are saved from sin, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, or it is the world's way where we are all lost and undone in our sin. All of us 
hetero, homo, and all, all of the stripes of people. And so what I want us to understand here is that we, you are more than a monkey on a rung or two up the evolutionary ladder. If you believe in Darwinian evolutionary theory, I promise you, you will soon believe that there is some group of people better than another. And there's no place for that. I wrote it like this. There is no place in God's kingdom for sexism, racism, social, intellectual, or economic elitism. These isms and others have plagued the church and her witness throughout the centuries. You should not be sexist if you're a Christian. You cannot be racist or bigoted if you're really a Christian. You cannot be an elitist if you're a Christian. Having studied the Gospels intently, having preached one of the Gospels over three and a half years at one church, my first church, people always said, you got to do a five to seven sermon series. Oh, get out of here, man. That makes Christianettes, right? Dancing around like majorettes smoking cigarettes. Come on. you got to preach the Word of God. For three and a half years, we laid in one Gospel. And friend, I'm going to tell you, Jesus didn't have a problem with the prostitute and drunk. Jesus had a problem with the religious elitist who thought they were better than everybody else. Jesus could save the prostitute and drunk because they knew they needed saving. It's the folks that didn't know they needed a physician that were truly sin sick. Are y'all following me so far? I know I'm about to make some old conservative traditional Christians mad. Get over it. Sexism. The thing I cannot understand about the current debate is all of the advances, praise God for the advances made for women's rights in our land. They are being eroded so very quickly by this garbage that we're seeing right now. Ladies, do you know that? Your rights, all of these quote records are being broken out there by so-called women. They are not women. If I grow my hair long, it'd be quite a sight, by the way, but if I were to do it like I used to have it back in the day when I had the Billy Ray thing, you know, business in the front and party in the back. Whoo, I hope we don't have pictures of that anywhere. That does not change who God made me to be. It just doesn't change who God made me to be. But that doesn't mean I, as a Christian, can look at that poor young boy in that swimming pool and be ugly, what I've got to do is say, your thinking is wrong. And everybody around you is trying to pat you on the back and say, it's okay. But ladies, you're the one hurting in days like this. And let me tell you, there's no place for isms because every ism is part of God's economy. Evangelism, this is the best ism there is. Evangelism says Jesus died for all people, red, yellow, black, and white. So all the people of the world are loved and all the people of the world's sin is paid for if they'll apply that sacrifice by faith, Jesus died for us all. That's why I don't buy the, the limited atonement idea. I just believe Jesus died for all people. Listen, 1 uh, Timothy 2.4, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. A-L-L. I read that in Greek. You know what it says? All. A-L-L. -L. The passage in Genesis establishes the equality of man and women, men and women, as image bearers of God. We are to have meaningful purpose by the plan of our creator God. Imago Dei also teaches us that God placed a great chasm between man and beast. Not one rung on the evolutionary ladder, a great chasm 
Only man, now listen, I don't want to burst bubbles, but I'm going to be straight with y'all. Only man has the capacity for eternal life. You mean Fido and Rover aren't in heaven? Uh, maybe not. I just know that Jesus died for people. I don't know that Fido and Rover have an eternal soul. It could be that God has them there. Certainly Revelation teaches that animals are in heaven. I just don't know if your fish that went down the funeral toilet is in heaven, okay? I don't know. I don't know. But we alone have the capacity for eternal life, fellowship, moral discernment, self-consciousness, and worship. Worship. You think animals are so close to us, have you ever seen them worship? No. No, and I don't mean your dog, fellow, who's worshiping you. I mean worshiping the real God. But what about the fall? Well, what we know in the fall, and we'll get there when we get to chapter three, is that the imago dei was marred. I do believe that every part of us, we call this, uh, their variant names, some call it total depravity. The reality is that every part and piece of us was marred and scarred. What do I mean by that? Well, I have some scars. Some of you have scars. I have a scar on my finger here. Lucy likes to play with it now. Um, it's where I was five years old climbing a chain link fence, getting out of my beagle's lot. And for whatever reason, I thought at that age it'd be more fun to climb the top than go through the gate. So I climbed the top and I bear a scar all these many years later. Let's see, I was five, so 20 years ago. <clears throat> so, <laughs> just wanna make sure you're awake. So I bear scars. I have a scar by my nose where I had skin cancer cut off 10 years ago and I just had another biopsy and praise God, got the results recently that that was benign. So I don't have to have any more cutting done on that place. But I bear those scars because there was a problem. I was cut. I had the Mohs surgery. I have other scars like many of you. Now, they're healed, praise God. They're healed over, but there's still a residual effect as a Christian, I was not just scarred. First, I was marred by sin. Every part of me, my thinking was marred. My actions were marred. My faith, all of it was marred. I came into the world distorted, twisted out of shape. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in 1985, God untwisted me. But my human nature, have you ever had anything that was so balled up that even when you tried to straighten it out, it just wanted to go back? It bore, the, it bore the shape, it bore the, the memory. My body, my mind, my spirit was born in sin and bears the memory of that. There's a memory effect. Paul would say, what a predicament I'm in. I don't do what I ought to do, I do what I shouldn't do. And he was saved. But he said, look at this, I, I'm in this twisted condition. And then even though I am saved by Christ, redeemed forever, I still bear scars. I bear scars, as do you. After the fall, humans were and are still divine image bearers. How do I know that? God's word. Let's look at Genesis 9, if you don't mind. Just go to 9-6 real quick with me. Would you mind just flipping over in your Bible? 9-6. This is way after the fall, okay? Way after the flood. Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Look at that. In the Imago Dei, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply. In other words, whether it's pre or post fall, we're still made in the image of God. 
So people after Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. You can go back to one. You see, the prohibition against murder appeals to the fact that people are made in the image of God. And the punishment of the murder of of a person is death because we're made in God's image. Despite the fall, we still have the image of God. Though marred, though scarred. John Piper said it this way. The benefits of being created in God's image continue to be present realities after the fall. Well, are there other verses that teach us that we're still made in God's image so, so, so that I as a Christian can't look at somebody else who's marred and say, oh, they're beyond hope? Because sometimes y'all think, because sometimes I think, oh, that person's too far gone. No, no, only death means they're too far gone. Is there anything else that tells us we're still made in God's image? Well, James 3, 9. James 3, 9, it speaks about the difficulty of taming the tongue. But it says, with the tongue we bless God our Father, and with the tongue we curse men who have been made in the image of God, or the similitude of God. We have been made in the likeness of our Father. So how does this change the way we look at ourselves, and how does it change the way we look at God's people? How does it change the way we see current ministries, and how does it change the way we see new opportunities for ministry and mission? It means this. That when we do an outreach and we see people come that look different and sound different and yes, maybe smell different and don't wear the same types of clothes, I am telling you, the Bible could not be clearer. They are in need of Jesus Christ, not to change their clothes, not even to change their odor, but to change their heart. Everybody's welcome at the cross of Christ. Everybody's welcome at the empty tomb. You out there who have struggled, maybe you have lived in a same-sex lifestyle for many, many years. You are a man who thinks she's a woman, a woman who thinks she's a man. You are non binary who's floating between the two. Maybe you're gender fluid and we could keep going with category after category after category. I am telling you, you are not too far gone from the God who made you in his image and who redeemed you by his son and who's coming again to get you. You can be saved today. You can trust Jesus today. And you say, I can't go to a church. Those people are too judgmental. You come to Grace Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and if anybody acts ugly to you, you show me who they are. Because I'm telling you, whosoever will may come. You say, well, I can just come and stay as I am. No, you you can't. None of us can come and stay as we are. When you meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, nobody can stay the same. Nobody can stay the same. The Imago Dei vividly demonstrates the agape of Almighty God. It beautifully displays the value of all people. I got to get to this. The Imago Dei fundamentally describes the blessings of God's created order. The blessings of God's created order. The fact that we're like God in a unique way has important implications. Look at verse 28 and following again. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, talking about the the cattle according to its kind and eating the green herb and all of that, we're going to talk about those things a little bit later. So I'm not spending time on it as much today. We're going to talk about those other, our diets, pre and post flood diet and all of that. But look at 28 and following. So God blesses the man and woman, and he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds, and every living thing that moves. And now he talks about every green herb and all of those things. Let them have dominion, rule. It indicates that from the moment of creation, 
Man exercises control over his environment. Now listen, folks, that means it doesn't take millions of years for man to evolve his search for self-identity and self-consciousness. For the dominion was the direct consequence of being created in the image of God. Cindy and I had a wonderful day yesterday, just spent a little day date going around Tennessee, went, I mean, Knoxville, went downtown, went to the East Tennessee Museum, and I made a comment to her, and I got to thinking, look how far we've come in just a few hundred years. Look at the advancements that have been made in just a few hundred years. The more I look around at the advancements that mankind has made, and especially if you study human history, recorded human history just for the few thousand years, you realize how incredibly far we've come and how incredibly fast. How silly it is to think that it took humankind uh, millions of years to get where we are. The Bible is so clear that self-identity and self-consciousness and dominion was a direct consequence of being created in God's image. Man was blessed and commanded to be fruitful and multiply, to be enriched and fertile. So what we actually find are in these commands, there's procreation, the union of man and woman to populate the earth. To replenish would be to fill the earth. So. It doesn't mean that there's some kind of refashioning of an already judged earth. Some people think the earth was made, then it was judged, then it was remade. No. It means the Hebrew terminology means to fill it for the first time. So the ruined constructionist or the gap theorist are wrong. And it implies a degree of control over nature. Now the reference to male and female identifies human life as sexual. Again, I'm gonna kinda come back into this category and unpack it a slightly different way from last week to hopefully hopefully give some of you some talking points when you're dealing with family or friends about this. What we find are different sexual roles, different reproductive roles. Unlike the gods of the pagans, the God of the Bible doesn't engage in sexual activity to make us, but the propagation of the human race was part of God's plan from the outset. And when we come into our day and age and the current confusion over sexuality and over gender, a couple of things we know. We know that there are damaging long-term negative consequences to going against the design plan of God, right? We know that. We know, for instance, that I can use a screwdriver to hammer a nail. But over time, that's not going to work. That screwdriver, and all of us have done that, we've grabbed a tool that's not intended for the job, and you can make it work, and you may make it work a few times, but in the long run, it's not doing what it was designed to do. I am not denying that those in same-sex relationships have real feelings, real feelings for one another. I am denying that those feelings are from God. I'm saying that they're from a sin nature. In the same way that two heterosexual people engaged in fornication, sex before marriage, you are not doing things in alignment with the word of God either. You are equally sinful. You are just doing it a different way. We don't like to talk about that though. We don't like to point that out, that if we're living in fornication, if I'm engaged in sexual activity apart from her being my wife, then it's wrong. Some of you may be engaging in emotional Adultery. You may be communicating with someone you've reconnected with through social media or you've seen in the community. And on the side, if we were to scan your devices today, you would be caught in emotional adultery. That's very, a very short step to the, to the actual physical adultery. 
And I'm telling you, all of those things are equally sinful before God because what God designed was, as I'm going to talk about in chapter 2, a marriage made in paradise. Eve was called Adam's wife right out of the gate, and we'll, we'll look at that in a few weeks. But why is this so damaging, even if you feel it's right? Well, I believe what we have in the movement of the LGBTQ plus community is this. It is a non or anti-biblical movement away from God's institution for the welfare of the human race. Prior to government, prior to society organization, societal organization meaning units of people together, prior to the establishment of the church, prior to any other human institution, God created a union. He called it marriage between a man and a woman. The Bible acknowledges that polygamy came in fairly quickly, and in every single case, it would seem it created problems for the family. It was never considered God's perfect ideal. It always created problems. Homosexuality was an issue from the very beginning. Men lying with men in unnatural ways. Women with women in unnatural ways. We find it again in the New Testament. All you have to do is read your New Testament. You'll see it not only as an Old Testament issue and it's not an issue of, of a hospitality if some have wrongly argued about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not an issue of anything but this is a way, this is different from God's design. One of the things that we've been reading as a staff, we just finished our discussion on it this week, is this book. And I would highly, highly recommend this book to you if they can get a shot. Nancy Piercy, it was written and came out in 2018, Love Thy Body. Now you gotta be a big girl or big boy to kinda handle this, it's pretty deep. But it's extremely well written. And what it says is that the abortion movement, movement toward euthanasia, personhood, movement toward the LGBTQ plus community, gender confusion, they all stem from the same type of root. The root is that we've separated the top story from the bottom story, the body from the feeling or the spirit. We've separated what we think and who we are physiologically. And that has led to some tremendous, tremendous problems. What we find when we study this, is there are lots of dysphoric or dysmorphic conditions. Let me give you one of the most classic ones. This had a much higher trend level at one time, particularly among young women, but there's still an issue out there and people still struggle with this. And listen, I know some of you in this very room have struggled with this or have family that struggle with it. And my heart, my heart goes out to you, my prayers go up for you, but you know someone or you know of someone this had eating disorders. You know someone that maybe has dealt with and struggled with anorexia. You know someone that struggled possibly with bulimia. Many times those things sort of overlay and people will struggle with both at times. Now, let me ask you something. Everybody, everybody old enough remembers Karen Carpenter, right? right? When you've seen someone that's gotten, gotten into the latter stages of this, what should you do, what should you say to this person who has a dysmorphic sense of their body? And by that I mean they look at themselves and they literally see themselves bigger than they really are. They're not seeing what you and I are seeing. They're looking in a funhouse mirror. And I mean absolutely no disrespect. I'm speaking truth to you. They see something different. They still believe 
Even precious ladies at 75 and 80 pounds will look at themselves, some even at my height, and say, I'm still too large. Now, what is the right and good and loving thing to do in those situations? What is the right thing to do for that type of dysphoria? Oh, you're fine. You look great. Keep doing what you're doing as their liver is shutting down as their pancreas is struggling to survive, as their heart muscle is literally dying in their chest. Would any of you argue that it is good and it is right to affirm the dysphoria? Anybody? Nobody would say it's good and it's right to affirm that. You know what you would say? Let me get you some help. What can I do to help you? Can, can I go out with you? Can I spend time with you? Can we get counseling for you? Can I eat with you? Can I share some meals with you? I know you can't eat a lot right now, but can you start? Can you get on the path of health? You know, it's not gonna be a light switch, is it, Dr. Harden? It's not a light switch. It's much more like a dimmer switch. Can I take a step with you toward health? but no, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, I can't eat that. And you say, no, you're not. What you think you see is not what you see. And there's an 11-year-old boy who bears more effeminate quality. He loves the stage, and that's okay. But the friends rally around him and say, this is who you really are. Let's stop puberty from happening. Let's change the body. As soon as you're able, let's get rid of some parts and let's add some parts because this is the authentic you because you think it's the authentic you. Is it loving and is it good to say, you're right, you're right, it's okay. How many of you were ready to make such decisions? in your prepubescent years. And yet this is what's happening every day in our own community. And in some states now, parents are the enemy. Teachers and administrators are right. Puberty blockers administered. Hormone therapies, estrogen given to little boys, testosterone to girls. You say, no, 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 it's not the same thing. Listen to me, it is exactly the same thing. There is a dysphoric condition where the thinking does not match reality. God made no mistakes, young man, when he made you a boy. And God made no mistakes, sweetheart, young lady, when God made you a girl. You like the things boys like? Celebrate that. You like the things girls like? That's okay. You can be your authentic you, but my mutilation and changing your body, you are not aligning with reality and you know down deep in the core of your spirit that you're not. Please come and seek help. We will be here for you. Our own counseling center ministers now across the world. One great thing about COVID is it taught us how to do effective counsel when people are anywhere and everywhere, thousands getting help, reach out to us and I'll guarantee you, we will not point a finger at you in judgment. We will give you a hand of truth and the gospel, and we will walk with you, and we will love you. We have got to love our people enough. We have got to love those made in the image of God enough to say, this is a path of destruction. I know you feel this way. 
I know it is a draw beyond anything you can imagine, but the truth is there. Even if you're not ready to accept God as your heavenly father yet, the biological truth of every cell of your body, the physiological truth is there, and it's shouting. And friends, this stuff really matters. It really, really matters. I would just turn 16 years old and got to do a show. Oh, are you kidding me? Okay. Y'all need to turn that thing off. Y'all messed that up this morning. It's red already. 16 years old doing a show. I got fitted for costuming. And long story short, every single week, we had to go back into a room and strip down to a dance belt. If you don't know what that is, it's just a humiliating garment that's awful. We had to strip down to a dance belt, and we had to stay for the entire season five pounds within the starting weight when costumes were made. Because five pounds heavy and buttons started to pull, five pounds light, they started to look funny, at least that's what they told us. You talk about dysphoria. It was worse than when I wrestled in high school. I mean, you had to make weight or your job was on the line. That was just a little old show out of a little old production company for a little old park. The pressure that's being felt today with all the bombardment of of imagery that's out there and the celebration of things that God would never celebrate, the pressure is overwhelming. Why can we as a church not be a safe place and space for people to come and turn them toward the truth? You're not going to light switch people toward this truth. But in love and walking with them like the one with eating disorder, sometimes it's on the other spectrum with the morbidly obese. I'm still starving, but I'm starving. I'm really starving. No, no, you're not starving. If any of you have ever watched the shows, You've seen the enablers in their life that keep passing the fried chicken, passing the gravy. That is not loving. You're not starving. Feelings, feelings must be sacrificed on the altar of facts. A friend of mine in another state just a couple of years ago was sued over this issue A 15-year-old biological boy identifying as a girl demanded to go to student camp and demanded to room with the girls. As a father of three girls of my own and a granddaughter, I'm telling you, this matters. Thankfully, the court case went in the favor of the church, but I fear there's coming a day sooner than later where we may not be so fortunate. And I, for one, am here to tell you on public record, with this going live, I will stand in civil disobedience. You will not take our sweet daughters or our son. We see the ramifications of this. The Bible tells us that God provides for the needs of his creatures. Pagans believe that men were created to feed the gods. I've watched Hindus come and bring sacrifices of food before their marble deities. Not true according to the Bible. God feeds his people. Most theologians agree, and I happen to agree, that Adam and Eve were vegetarians. I don't understand it. I'll explain it later. I uh, want to confess that I am a meditarian. Part of the confirmation of my call to be a Baptist preacher was a divinely given craving for fried chicken. I'll move on. Meat. 
food in the, uh, 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 the, the, the word meat meant food. In the early 17th century, when the KJV was translated, it was translated meat, it meant food. No actual animal flesh was condoned until after the flood, Genesis 9-3. We'll come back to that. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139.14. What's interesting is God is mentioned here in this first chapter 32 times, not including the pronouns that point to him. Again, the Bible makes no attempt to prove there's a God. Why not? Because, well, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart there's no God. Every one of you in the quiet place, including those in the LGBTQ plus community, every one of you in the quiet place knows deep in the pit of your gut, the depth of your soul, that there's something more than this. Every one of you knows that you can't merely change the outside, that a mere change of outside doesn't truly bring you the happiness, joy, contentment that you so long for. The Bible's description of humanity's creation is often called the creation mandate. Let me at least try to get through this because it reveals God's design for human beings. Three of our fundamental purposes that, that are highlighted in Genesis 1 and chapter 2 we'll see are family, worship, and work. Family, we've been created male and female. I know what the courts now call marriage. I know that the courts will call marriage something that God never called it. Here's my take on that. If God designed it, God gets to define it. If God designed it, God gets to define it. In 2015, I was asked by a multitude of people in our church, in the press, uh, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do now that SCOTUS declares that marriage can be same sex? And I said, what do you mean, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna do the same thing I did before the, the, the Supreme Court convened. Five people don't determine my belief system. Five people do not determine what I say is right or wrong. My God and his word determines what I say is right or wrong because if I'm outlines, uh, outside of the Bible, it's wrong. If I'm in line with what God has revealed, it's right. And so I have not changed. Have I been pressed on that? Yeah, a few times. But. The reality is I hold to a lot of standards that the current culture probably wouldn't like. If you're sleeping together and you come to me to do your wedding, I'm gonna say no, you've got to abstain. You say, well, I can't believe that. That's so old fashioned. No, that's Bible fashion. So I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to tell you the truth of where I stand in this. We have family as a creation minute. We have worship. We'll get to that next time. We have work. We'll talk about that later too. These three purposes were established before sin entered the world. Okay, let me see if I can land the plane here because I, I need to do that. So why is it that most men and women the world over, I'm gonna come back to this at the end next week before we take communion. Why is it that most men and women the world over desire children? If you're in a loving marriage, do you need children? Well, no. They're expensive and they're messy, by the way, if you're wired like I am. But you, and you already have a relationship already, right? And by the way, just because you don't want children or don't have children means you're no less in the eyes of God. I'm not telling you that you're any less than. But why do we want them? Because we desire relationship. We desire to keep a legacy moving. We want family to relate to and to love and to provide for and to carry on the name and the legacy. Now, if you have more than one child, which one do you love more? Don't look at them, good grief. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> which one do you love more? And I don't mean just today, I don't mean situationally, I mean in general. 
Well, okay. You created children because you wanted relationship. If you're a Christian, you know God gave you those children. He knit them and fashioned them, and from the moment of conception, they were an eternal gift from an eternal God. And if you're blessed like we are with multiple children, you don't love one more or one less. That's a foolish notion. God just expands love. Listen, a candle loses nothing of itself by lighting another candle. Love is not limited. My flame for one child is not greater in love than for another. So why would we think that God somehow loves us hetero Christians more than he loves someone who's struggling with this? Boys trying to be girls or vice versa. Those in same-sex relationships or what they would even call marriages. Why would we think God loves anybody more than anybody else? He is our father after all. And listen, he can be their father too. Because it is not your sexuality that makes you right with God. It is grace through faith in Christ alone that restores a broken relationship with your father. The Imago Dei beautifully displays the value of all people. If you're a sexist today, you need to repent. If you're a racist today, you need to repent. If you're some kind of Christian elitist today, you need to lower your nose and repent. You're gonna drown in your own pride. You need to repent and humbly say, you know what, there are hurting people around me, maybe in my own family. I need to tell them, I'll take you by the hand and I'll walk with you. I'm not just gonna shun you or push you away. I'm gonna walk with you to the truth. I'll close with this. Cindy shared it with me just over a week ago. She said, I know you can use this, and she was right. I went back and watched the episode. Andy Griffith's show, one of the greatest shows ever made. Season two, episode six. About a year before Buddy, uh, Buddy Epson would be known to the world as Jed Clampett. Y'all remember Jed Clampett, Beverly Hillbillies? Uh, he had a guest spot, as many did on the Andy Griffith show. He was a hobo named David Brown. Turns out that uh, Buddy Epson's character was not a good influence on young Opie Taylor, as David Brown liked to bend the law quite a bit. In the closing scene, Sheriff Taylor goes to meet the hobo, David Brown, to say, you need to separate from my son. David says, well, Sheriff, maybe I do look at things different than other people. Is that wrong? I live by my wits. I'm not above bending the law now and then to keep clothes on my back or food in my stomach, and I live the kind of life that other people just love to live if they just had the courage. Who's to say the boy wouldn't be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? Sounds like a lot of modern parenting, doesn't it? Why not let him decide? Andy replied, nah, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a youngin decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it, and when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. The wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that the other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep the temptation away. I realize that most parents want what's best for their children. And that's why it's so tragic when parents leave such monumental decisions up to the youth of our land. There needs to be a structure, a created order in the home and the society. I realize that sin has marred things terribly, but it doesn't change the law of God written on our hearts. The Imago Dei fundamentally describes the blessings of God's created order. Sin has created a chasm between Almighty God and His highest creation, mankind. 
but Jesus came to restore what once was. Young person struggling in a same-sex relationship or attraction, you don't yet have the person or the power to overcome that without Jesus. But if you will say yes to Christ, he can even change your want-tos. Young person struggling with your identity, God made you just the way he wanted you. And so what if you like things that are more girly? So what if you like to hunt and fish and do things that would be typically considered more masculine? So what? Be who God made you to be, but who God made you to be will always accord with reality. We love you enough to tell you the truth. We love you enough to say you have a place here to learn and to grow, not to be judged, but to be welcomed, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Trust in the Lord today and remember, no matter your color, no matter your shape, your size, your gender, you are divinely designed, made in the image of God. Stand with me. I really would love to have some Christians that are passionate about this to come and spend a few minutes today just praying for those in our church family and in our community and beyond that are tuned in, that you would just pray for God to use Christians around these folks struggling in different areas. Not just homosexual sin, heterosexual sin, all kinds of these areas, that you would come today and you would be a prayer warrior saying, oh God, use me if you can. Use me in any way to speak life into these situations and know that we are here for you. Know that Grace Baptist Church, Grace Biblical Counseling, we are here for you if you need us. Let's pray. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.